Welcome to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're well. This week, Picking County frontline workers are eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine, and the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson versions have all made their way to the Valley. We also look at the inherent connection between your employment and your place in line for the vaccine. Can your employer require you to get vaccinated? Later in the show, we look at the two back-to-back worldwide ski events Aspen is hosting currently. Thanks for listening to The Upload. You are listening to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. Today, I'm joined by reporters Erica Robbie. Hi, Erica. Hey, Allison. And Matthew Bennett. Hi, Matt. Hey, Allison. We're going to take a closer look at the COVID-19 vaccine rollout locally. Matt, I'm going to start with you. We've now seen all three vaccine types in the Valley. We have the Pfizer, the Moderna, and as of this week, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine just came through. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. um, Picking County was was really fortunate in that they were able to get their hands on 1,500 doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, Um, and they they successfully administered every drop um, this past Sunday at the Benedict Music Tent parking lot in Aspen. So it was was a great... News and, and the officials just keep saying that every time they do a clinic, it just gets, um, you know, more and more smooth, frankly, and they're really just getting people in and out. That's incredible because, of course, that Johnson & Johnson is a one and done. So that's 1,500 people, quote, fully vaccinated, you know, all in one day, whereas these other rollouts we've seen, of course, have that three, four-week delay before we have that part of the population fully vaccinated. Um what is our vaccination process? So who in our community is now vaccinated or partially vaccinated? And how are they even being told that it's time, it's their turn, that their ticket is up? Sure, sure. So it has been um, changing quite a bit um, and everything is obviously moving really fast, but really right now the county's targeting what's called the 1B3 group on the state's uh, vaccine distribution timeline. And really that includes, you know, people ages 16 to 59, right, with two or more high-risk conditions, um, individuals 60 and over. And then where things got a little, um, sort of the county may have had to do a little bit of interpreting itself was the frontline essential workers in critical infrastructure, uh, mainly grocery and agriculture. And that really is, they're targeting people in like meat packing, you know, grocery <laughs> store working. Um, but it was kind of interesting because they were speaking about how some people uh, were looking at agriculture a little more broad and um, whether that might include even, um, you know, recreational marijuana growing and things like that. They said they're really targeting more just um, meat production. But again, it just shows that um, it's a fluid situation. I've never understood Kafka so much as this COVID-19 where we have literally a new alphabet that's like 1A, B, 1, 2, 3, 1, 6.9, and then all these different categories, of course, for how our community is. Um, I, I just don't know how anyone would know that it was their turn, except for that it is so tied to your industry, right? So Erica, you did this fascinating story about if bosses can, can require their employees to get vaccinated. I found out that I was eligible for a vaccination because our employers signed us up. In, in other health parameters, your boss and you wouldn't be talking about your personal choices as much, right? But when it's your boss who's helping you get access to this vaccine, it's a whole new conversation. 
Erica, of course, there's people who might not want the vaccine um, for their own reasons, uh, allergies, or just beliefs about vaccines, um, trepidation about how fast these rolled out. Can an employer force their workforce to go get these vaccines? So that is an incredibly complicated question, Allison. <laughs> um, but the, the short answer is right now, no. In the future, yes, with exceptions. And this, just as a full disclosure, this is the best answer that I got. Um, yes. I, I spent many hours researching this. I contacted more than probably, I would, I think I said nearly a dozen uh, in my story, nearly a dozen attorneys. Uh, so, and, and HR professionals as well. So this is, this was the best answer that I, <laughs> that I found. Um, the reason an employer cannot currently require an employee to get the COVID vaccine is because it is currently in what's called the emergency use authorization stage, which means it is not fully FDA approved. Um, and that, that is from my best understanding, really the nuance that makes it so that your employer cannot require it. We don't know how long it will be until the vaccine is fully licensed and has that full FDA approval. But at that time, it does seem more likely that an employer can require that, then there are countless exceptions as outlined in the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission that then gives an employee the right to combat that. So it's complicated, but yes, there could come a time when an employer does make an employee uh, get the vaccine. And those reasons, as you said, Allison, uh, disability, or allergies you had mentioned, um, disabilities is another, you know, outlier in that uh, religion. We've seen in national news lately a lot involving the Catholic church. So there are a lot of reasons, but for right now, no, in the future, yes, likely, but <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> you can't see me, but how many times I shook my head because you're referring to like a different actual massive document or like federal legal terminology that you had to look through for this reporting. And uh, I loved it in this article where you kind of peeled back that curtain. We do it on the podcast quite a bit, but not always in print where you said, listen, I reached out to a dozen lawyers. Here's what the HR people are saying. Here's what the lawyers are saying, because we don't want to not talk about this conversation just because we don't know the answer, right? So I loved it. Exactly. You still went forward with this reporting because of course everyone wants to know. The bosses want to know. The employees want to know. We're starting to see our grocery workers, our bars and restaurant staff, they're being called up. They're allowed to go get these shots. Everyone's asking this question. So for a reporter to be also trying their best to find the answer, this is that was one of my favorite things we've done in COVID yet because we don't know the answer and it was still time to talk about it. Oh, I really appreciate that, Allison. Thank you. And, and part of that too, I don't know that I mentioned is that even the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is you know sort of the standard for these exceptions, even the commission fails to acknowledge <laughs> or draw a distinction between the two types of vaccines, EUA versus FDA approved. So they don't really blatantly have an answer. And like, you know, this is this is the federal commission. Like that's, that is, that's, and, and that was something that was important to me too, is, you know, to only look to academic or federal sources in, in trying to come up with an answer. So uh, yeah, it was, it's incredibly complicated. And at least in the days that I was doing this reporting um, last week, there was not a clear answer from the federal government. So. 
I can't imagine being a business owner right now because it's such like a moral quandary that you didn't know was going to come your way. You want your employees to be as safe as possible. They have to be exposed to so much of the public so often that they do deserve to be in the front of the line. They've been on the front lines of working this entire time. They never got to sit at home during quarantine, of course. So you want your employees to be safe. You want the customers to be safe. You want them to feel like they can come into a safe, healthy business so that they shop there, right? So that you don't close down during the pandemic. And if any, if you're too many of your employees do get sick because they've elected not to take the vaccine and then um, don't socially distance or for whatever reason get it, then, then you're shut down. So all of those things, while, while telling people, hey, a vaccine that has only been around, has only existed for six months, you have to go inject that into yourself. I mean, it's, it's quite the balance that I think a lot of people weren't prepared for. The word unprecedented is so overused, but <laughs> there's not another word to describe a lot of what we're dealing with and, and have for the past year. And um, to your point, Allison, it's, it's simply unprecedented. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, our employers were the ones who are signing us up, but then it, there's this weird legal nuance where can they even, they, they legally, they can ask an employer. They can or they cannot? They can. That is. Okay, great. Yes. That was, um, according to the HR specialist I spoke with, they are allowed to ask, but I think the conversation, you know, kind of ends there right now. <laughs> so I was surprised that HIPAA yeah. and health insurance didn't come up more in my reporting um, because I I was under the impression or had the notion that HIPAA would protect against a level of of you know employee rights and protect and privacy, um, but it really never did. So yeah, absolutely. And, and Matt, we've talked about this as well with COVID that like civil liberties sometimes come to it. You know, you have friends back home in Louisiana who don't like these mask mandates, for instance. Um, and that's like a, my personal option. I get to decide if I get sick or not. The government doesn't get to decide, right? Like there's that feeling that I, I feel like that is the same conversation with, it shouldn't be up to my boss or the government to tell me I have to decide to protect myself. That should be my own that should be my own decision. Does this feel like a similar conversation? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, right now I'm back home visiting Louisiana, and it's it's uh, it's it's a lot different. You know, I didn't need to sign any paperwork or anything online to fly home for starters. And um, yeah, and in some areas, you know, you wouldn't even know that there was a pandemic going on, frankly. Um, and and if you look at what's happening in Texas, but but yeah, sure. and you know, to the point earlier of you know the emergency use authorization and just some hesitancy. I, I think you're seeing hesitancy in some cases from some people you might not otherwise see it. You know, it might not be someone who's necessarily, you know, anti-vax, if you will. It's just sure. that I think, for example, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, I believe it was got the emergency youth authorization on the 27th of February. Um, the chief of staff for CDPHE the next night was sending out emails to the county public health department saying, hey, can you stand up uh, a clinic, you know, so I think it's just kind of the rush and the frenzy, but a lot of scientists, I mean, the medical community is saying, you know, absolutely take the vaccine. If, if you have the ability to get one, um, get one, because ultimately that, that is how the pandemic's going to wind down and um, just combating misinformation. Um, you know, one right now is that the Johnson & Johnson, yes, its, it's efficacy is slightly lower than Moderna, um, which Moderna is 94.1, Pfizer 95, you know, but if you look at what really matters with the Johnson & Johnson, A, yeah, it's single shot, 
So you can reach communities you might not otherwise be able to. But the other thing is if you look at its efficacy of keeping people from getting really sick or, or dying, it's, it's very powerful. So I, I think the message that hopefully people do take away is that if you have the opportunity to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. And that leads us perfectly to our conclusion then, Matt, because you tied this in, some of your vaccine reporting to, is there any way to determine if it is helping bring numbers down in our community, right? You, you kind of try to look at, since we've started vaccine rollout, what, is, what have our local numbers been? Of course, we've gone from the highest restrictions, you know, restaurants, no indoor dining to, um, as Erica noted, uh, kind of seems like some of our bars are open. Like that's the transition we've had in the time that the vaccines have rolled out. Are we seeing that as our local community gets vaccinated that some of these um, COVID numbers are going down? That's a great question. And it's really tough to pinpoint what is causing numbers to go up or down. Just like, um, you know, when we went into code red, you know, the numbers went down really quick, but was that because indoor dining shut down or because that's just where the trend was with the okay. virus? But anybody can understand that the more vaccines you get into arms, the better off we're going to be. And, um, you know, the way the numbers have decreased so exponentially is really remarkable. I mean, when you go from an incidence rate above 3,000, not too long ago, and now, um, you know, in the last seven days, we've had 60 cases and our percent positivity is to 3.2%. It's, it's really encouraging news, but at the same time, you know, public health officials are, are saying, you know, really look at the science. Don't just lift everything. It's too early. And, and we're close to seeing it, you know, things get better. But, but they're really saying, you know, just because you've been vaccinated, just because the numbers are getting better, you know, don't necessarily go to a, a indoor concert just yet, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, for the first time in a long time, um, things are getting, seem to be getting better, but it, it comes at a really awful toll with the, the loss of life and business too that we've seen so and Allison one thing I want to add too is you know as we're having this conversation that this will be an ongoing conversation like I, whatever you want to call it vaccine moral ethical dilemma employer employee issue like why don't <laughs> however sure. you want to frame it um this is not going away anytime soon um and to that point uh, because I'm a data nerd I wanted to bring up one interesting stat that I shared in my story please which is uh, according to research this year from the Society for Human Resource Management. So essentially like, you know, a, a big HR national representation, 28% uh, of US workers reported that they are willing to lose their jobs over the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine specifically. So that's nearly one third of the working Holy population. Cow. That, so, you know, we, I think we are just, this, this is not going away. This is going to continue to evolve, to, you know, have its nuances. And I'm, as a journalist, it's exciting. <laughs> but, it's um, so it's, nuanced. Yeah. It's so multi-layered <laughs> because one thing you can't lose your job for, and this is, this went in place right away, thank goodness, was getting COVID-19. You know, there, right. there was things put into place right away that if you need your two weeks to quarantine, or if you're so sick because you have COVID-19, that cannot be a cause of being let go. And that, that was right, like one year ago, as soon as the shutdowns happened, those mandates went into place. So it is very interesting that we have protections for people who choose not to get the vaccine and get sick, they can't lose their jobs. But if you would, you know, if you're told you want, you have to get the vaccine to be at this grocery store, to be at this customer service kiosk, um, you would be- Or to travel. Forever. 
that's yeah. I think that's oh, that's interesting. what I'm thinking about. I mean, obviously, yeah, there's a little bit of escapism going on in my head. I'm thinking about <laughs> travel, most importantly. But uh, I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens um, with you know this notions of this quote unquote COVID passport or vaccine passport. This is an ongoing, evolving conversation, and uh, we will absolutely continue to report it. I mean, that's so interesting. The again to like feel like you're in this weird government Kafka land. When I got my my vaccine, they handed the card, you know, like you get a card that shows an official card. And she said, keep this in your wallet. We have no idea when you might need to prove that you've had a vaccine. I mean, no, even the people administering them don't know if that's going to be something you need to have this little piece of cardboard the rest of your life. It's like a social security card or something. Like a birth certificate. Yeah. <laughs> It's in my wallet. I just carry it around. <laughs> I don't know what else to do with it. Erica, Robbie, Matthew Bennett, thank you so much for joining me on the upload today. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. Just ahead, FIS Snowboard and Free Ski World Championships launch in Aspen today. Some insights as the athletes look back at X Games and forward to the Olympics. You are listening to the upload from the Aspen Daily News. Remember, if you don't want us to talk about it, don't let it happen. I'm Allison Bektesh. Also this week, SkiCo has announced extended ski days at the Snowmass Resort. Aspen Santa Fe Ballet dissolves after 25 years. And three seats are opening up on the Pitkin County Board of Public Health. Those stories and more local news online at aspendailynews.com. The FIS Ski and Snowboard World Championships launched today. Reporter Madeline Osberger attended a pre-event press conference and brings us the insights about the event's meaning in the lineup of the world-class competition. We have our snow sports expert here, Madeline Osberger. Thank you so much for coming on the upload and joining me this week. Oh, great to join you, Allison. I'm so excited with everything going on in town right now. Exactly. So we're going to chat about these 2021 FIS Snowboard and Free Ski World Championships. Let's start with just what events that is. You know, I think of FIS, um, what we've had here is very disciplined downhill downhill racing. And I don't think I realized there was a, this free ski element of, of the FIS offering. Yes. And also the cross country uh, is under their auspices as well. They're a big organization and there are people here this week from FIS. Welcome from their headquarters in Switzerland. Wow. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I know 300 athletes in 37 nations represented. I mean, that's a little bit staggering in this, this time of COVID and they are really strict with their already with their protocol. Our um, opening press conference was all virtual and we're really being discouraged as journalists from trotting over to buttermilk. The uh, preliminaries for the half pipe, which I think will be the um, marquee event for locals. We have uh, Alex Ferreira, of course, Olympic silver medalist in 2018, and Hannah Fallhaber, who was the bronze last year in the World Juniors in this event. And she's just, she is one hardworking, modest person. She's a Basalt High School junior, and she has been killing it in the half pipe. She won the Rev Tour here two weeks ago. She didn't go to the Copper Mountain Rev Tour. I think she's just been practicing. But, um, you know, the coaches who have worked with her, they just admire her, just her focus and she went, she, her mother is from New Zealand. So Hannah was able to go over last fall and ski. Yeah. So the, we'll see half pipe, we'll see slope style. It's kind of these, these events are sounding a little X gamesy. Is it the same 
level yeah. of competition, the same tricks? Is what yeah. what are we expecting to see this week? Well, that's an interesting question because that came up in the press conference yesterday because the World Championships and then they are followed directly by the Land Rover Grand Prix, which is a World Cup. So a lot of these um, athletes will be going in two, they're here for two weeks, which they're thrilled about, but they were asked, are you going to try to change it up a little? And Mark McMorris, who's a snowboarder from Canada, and he's just such a kick. He's just a, just a big guy and ha ha ha. And you just, someone you'd want to be around as a friend. That's, that's how I can describe Mark. And he said he will probably, he'll tweak his run, but really for him, it's about qualifying for the Olympics next year. So if he's doing the same run as he has done all year, he didn't, he wasn't able to come to X because he tested positive. COVID before he left for Aspen. So thank you for staying home. Right. But he's here now and, and ready to roar. He won this kind of backcountry funky event up in Jackson Hole two weeks ago, which I thought, well, good for you. These guys are, that's how they're getting, you know, and, and Alex Ferreira too, Aspen native. He's done a lot of filming in the backcountry. Um, he's coming into this event uh, from Peter Olenek, who is a coach, not Alex's coach, but he's seen Alex lately and he said he's got a great run. He's just got to land it. And he's coaching this group of young athletes who are just, wow, Tristan Feinberg, uh, Kai Morris. He's just got these, this great group. So, um, and he has one athlete in this event, has the Finnish national championship, who came up through um, ABSC. So it, it'll be interesting to see. We'll have all these, this local presence out there. You know, you bring up Alex, who had so much pressure on him during X Games to have his third gold in a row um, and didn't perform the way he has when we have those big crowds, when we ha when maybe he had less pressure on him and it was fun to be this underdog kicking butt, right? Did he speak about that at all? Like, did he have a, a good mental break between these two events? I think he has had a good break. I know he, you know, he's another one. He's just so diligent, such a hard worker and a perfectionist. So I think he's been over in copper working on those tricks. You know, Alex, though, in the last world championships, which I traveled to in Park City, he did not have his dream run there. He was okay. And then in X Games this year, he was seventh, um, you know, coming off back-to-back -back goals, of course. But I think for Alex, he hasn't competed that much. So maybe being, you know, but he's got a lot of competition. Oh my gosh. He's, you know, not only the, David Wise, who is the reigning gold medalist, um, he's not hitting his tricks as hard, but you never know. He is really a big event skier. I saw him do that in the Olympics and he just inched out Alex. Oh man. Get some redemption now. And, you know, we'll see, but that's, it starts Wednesday and then the finals are on Friday. So Madeline, this actually is one of two events that Aspen is hosting back to back where we, where we're seeing Olympic hopefuls qualifying. So what are we going to learn about the upcoming Olympics through some of these? Well, that's the exciting part. And Mark McMorris, he referenced that in that he hasn't had, you know, that there are what four spots and they've got six or eight guys really vying. So I think we're going to see tricks here that will surpass what we saw at X. That, that everybody's vying for that. You know, they have two uh, shots this week to show their good stuff. And I know the Land Rover event, the Grand Prix next is definitely an Olympic qualifier. I'm not positive about the status of the world championships, but honestly to make it to the world championships is a huge, huge, because it, it's second only to the Olympics. Now in the free skiing and snowboarding world, of course they look at X games with, with much more, um, oh, I don't know, I'd love to be in it, but this is actually a bigger event. Okay, so 300 athletes, it is so international, right? This is yes. worldwide. Um, I'm assuming they're coming in with 
coaches and, and an entourage or a friend or something, a significant other is each. So this is again, a stark contrast to a month ago or, you know, in January with the X games where they were, they were housed in a bubble. They weren't going out to eat in Aspen, right? There was such a lockdown. What do you know about some of the, the COVID protocols or how many people, especially international travel that we're hosting here exactly one year after COVID hit from international travel in Aspen? Well, I know FISC has protocols in place that are okay. really as um, the U.S. ski team. I have to think it's they're getting tested on a daily basis. Let's hope so. I mean, here we are. We're having such a great upturn in Aspen's uh, COVID response and people getting vaccinated and cases dropping. And oh, my gosh, that coupled with spring break is a little concerning. Madeline Osberger, thank you so much for keeping your eye on the athletes for us this week and coming on the upload to give us a preview. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for listening to The Upload. I'm your host and producer, Allison Bektesh. Thanks to Madeline Osberger, Erica Robbie, and Matthew Bennett for being on the show today. This is The Upload Podcast from the Aspen Daily News. Listen, discuss, decide, and stay healthy.